Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Pushkin. Bonivere started in 2006 as a solo project for Justin Vernon after the breakup of his college band. He recorded his first album in his dad's hunting cabin deep in the woods of Wisconsin. Just him, an acoustic guitar, a lot of fresh venison, and DVDs of Northern Exposure. That debut got so big that within a few years of its release, Bonivere was collaborating with people like Beck and Kanye West which may help explain the shift in musical direction Bonivere's music has taken. His palette of sounds has expanded a lot across four albums, and Bonivere is no longer just a solo project either. It's still centered around Justin, but it includes a whole bunch of collaborators from Wisconsin where Justin still lives and is building his own Shangri-La-style recording studio. Surprisingly, Justin and Rick Rubin had never met until they recorded this podcast, despite their close working relationship with Kanye. It was a chance for them to get to know one another, discuss Justin's career, and chat about one of Justin's all-time favorite groups, the Indigo Girls. This is Broken Records Season 3, Liner Notes for the Digital Age. I'm Justin Richmond. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right, enjoy the episode. Here's Justin Vernon and his producer Chris Messina in conversation with Rick Rubin. They dive right into the kind of talk producers love about building a live-work studio space far away from the noisy world. Tell me about your place. I've heard great things about it. Well, uh, me and Chris have been working on it for many years. Um, it's it's under construction right now because we kind of we hit a point where we needed to to spread out a little bit. Tell me the whole story of how it how did it 
come to pass. The house I grew up in, it's only three miles from there. And it's uh, my brother found it and it's on t- 10 acres, you know, super cheap. And old. it was an old like 70s ranch house and they had an indoor pool and they had a- Indoor uh, pool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We ended up making that our makeshift live room for many wow. years. So uh, cool. But it's on 10 acres in the woods and it's like my shit, you know. Incredible. Yeah. And so, but- we sort of did it DIY for a while, and then I found Chris and took him off of a, a production touring thing and, and got him out there to just basically make it proper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so we've been kind of out of the DIY zone and more in like a trying to make a proper tracking space for about eight, seven years now. You've been out there, I guess, Chris. How, how would you say it changed from it, its DIY incarnation to the current one? I feel like more less stuff falls off the walls now, maybe or something. Yeah, I'm not the one putting stuff on the walls. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there, we did like a lot of teeter tottering kind of before I got there, and then even still after I did, yeah. just baby steps when yeah. we really just needed to do one kind of big move. Yeah, but I think it's just been getting the recording spaces, you know, more attractive sounding, and then also improving all of the the wellness spaces and just the vibe of the place because that's you know made a pretty good record with just. A, a pretty cruddy studio yeah and then it's because the vibe is there you know yeah. which obviously you, you understand yeah, pretty yeah, well yeah. absolutely we, and when i just lived there too like i lived there for many years until Do you re- still or no more i live in the guest house out back which is cool but i'm gonna build a house next door actually um just but just being in the studio and it not being set up for really being having like a home va- home base or a really uh I don't know, any kind of wellness vibe. It was just recording, making music, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We went through, like, the different iterations, too, of, like, not knowing if we wanted to be a commercial space or if we were going to be a private space or just Justin or, or what the deal was going to be. And yeah. so we went through all those different versions. To We had to do that to learn what we <laughs> didn't like, basically. Yeah. And it's really just better off to be kind of a friends and family zone and, and us. It's it's the best version of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's that's pretty much how we do it too. It's, yeah. um, and originally, I didn't I didn't think anyone else would work here, but but us. But then, I was away, and friend asked, "Oh, you think we could work here?" It's like, oh, that'd be cool. Uh-huh. Like, and so now I I like the idea because if so, because I've worked so much over the course of my life that it's like a way to trick myself into not being a workaholic. There you go. <laughs> that's a, that we were just talking about that on the way out here. It's like. Man, it's like I love music so much, and yeah. I could do it every single day. Yeah, but uh, it's not a comfortable feeling when you're like, "Is this all I am?" Yeah, and then you can get caught up in it. For it's easy too when you love something so much. But and I don't know if work with a capital W is really the name of the the thing that we do because we love yeah. it so much. But it is at the end of the day, it is what you're spending time doing, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And and for most of my life, it was in. You know, dark rooms with no windows, dark little dirty rooms. Yeah. So, so most of my life was just like in in really unpleasant places. Yes, <laughs> it doesn't encourage you to be a healthy person all no. the time either. No. <laughs> and and I think so much of the inspiration of the work we do comes from not just doing the work. It's right. like the, the fuel that drives the process comes from life outside of the studio. Yes, <laughs> so. exactly. It's exactly the f- fuel has been my metaphor lately. It's like gas yeah. in the tank healthy engines you know everything's running on you know and music's beautiful enough to be inspired by only music but then that isn't it that's not a closed circuit right so yeah you got to go out and 
go to grandma's house or whatever it is. Do you call it a band? Yeah, idea, project, band. I don't know what it is. Was it a clear, like, t- tell me th- th- from the beginning, how did it start? That's actually an easier way to, to answer it. It's like, you know, I was I was in a band with, with some of my closest friends and people that grew up learning how to play music around. And we sort of had that mid-20s sort of breakup, went our separate ways, and I was kind of considering not trying to make a career in music and maybe go back to school and all this stuff. But in that very moment um, is when I sort of started making the first songs for what would become Bon Iver. And I remember not having a name until I finished finished the album and I was watching Northern Exposure, that show from the early 90s. And there's this episode where the first snow falls in this little Alaskan town and everyone goes out and greets each other like, Bon Iver, Bon Iver. And I thought, well, that's a good thing because I mean, that's kind of that's i've always been inspired by my where i'm from yeah and all that it lacks uh you know everything that it lacks it doesn't have that the other big cities in the world have there there's something i've always enjoyed about uh and keyed in about what what it's like to be from where i'm from and how tough the winter makes you and and how really nobody has the time and energy to prove anything to anyone else or something uh which can be very beneficial and, and have its drawbacks as well but that's that's where it came from so i thought this this bon thing it almost feels like a, a community a town even though it started with just me yes i had this idea that it's like it's gonna be a town or a, a little town or a growing thing or a greeting or something. And and it and of course, at the end of the day, it's a band, it's an artist, it's a thing. And so I try not to be too precious about it, but that's how I still believe in it. And, you know, 11, 12 years later now, I guess it is, it it really has blossomed into a real breathing community with, with love and support and all the, everything. Beautiful. Yeah. Did you make the first album by yourself? Yeah. Tell me, tell me the story. Yeah, so I was I was living in North Carolina, and I'd started some of these things. And as the band kind of broke up, I, I sort of kind of hightailed it back to Wisconsin. I really lived in Wisconsin my whole life, minus that year and whatever amount of time I've been on the road. Um, but at that point, I'd never been on the road really before. I'd never really had any paying music work other than weekend bar gigs and guitar teaching. Uh, so I brought... I brought uh, my little Digi-01 Pro Tools rig uh, and my Mac G4 up to my dad's hunting cabin, kind of an hour north of where we where we grew up. And uh, he just kind of let me go in there. And I was like, Dad, I don't know what I'm doing. If I go back to school to be a music teacher, I'd have to wait to the fall. And this was right in the winter. And uh, so he just let me set up there. And I just had my little setup and a couple of guitars. And, uh, and I'd done some engineering and some making some records before but I had kind of just lost some of the gear. And so it was a very, very meager setup, uh, which ended up being a really great thing. Um, and so over the over a, kind of a three-month period, just kind of being there by myself, unless my dad would stop by over the weekend to work on a sawmill or something, like I was just there um, letting myself be bored, allowing myself to do to have a day where nothing happened for the first time in my life and not have any guilt about it. It was just the first time I really, truly was on my own. Beautiful. Do you think of it as an enjoyable time? Yes. I mean, it, there were there was boredom. There was like sort of just sitting there, maybe an unhealthy amount of alone time or something like that. But I, I do, I look back at it as a very, very positive experience to to let go of a lot of things. To I was making it for myself. 
I had kind of given up on the idea of, of chasing anymore. And of course, once you're, once you're done with chasing, you're arriving. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. I've given up on that idea. What would, what would your days be like? Like what, what, if you're alone for three months? Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I'd wake up and probably crack three eggs and some venison, you know, cause we, we do some hunting up there. Um, but there was a little TV up there and a DVD player. So I'd watch a lot of the Northern exposure and, and strangely it's my favorite like thing, novel book show, whatever of yeah. all time, because it was just, you know, so there might be a day where I only watch DVDs, yeah. you know, um, and, you know, smoke a joint and drink six beers for no reason or something. Mm -hmm. um, but then, then a day I would just wake up, go sit on the computer stool and just be there in yeah. it, you know, work, reworking and mixing and doing that thing on that album. Yeah, I wonder if, I was thinking about growing up and the amount of boredom involved in, uh, you know, mm -hmm. get home from school and yep. what are you supposed to do? Yeah. It's like, what do you do? So I'm wondering if if putting yourself in that state somehow taps into something that a lot of people feel more often than they realize. Like yeah. it's just a real I mean, you did an extreme thing uh by by regular standards in our in our society. Yeah. But it took you to a place that's probably not so different than growing up in the united states <laughs> yeah but with without having anybody like get outside or yeah you do this or you do that yeah my parents gave me my dad in this case gave me a very supportive experience or supported experience i should say yeah. um and it was it was that that boredom was like huh you spend a lot of time being busy and overworked and i just i just recently had quit a job at a kitchen that had really created new anger and stress in my in my mind and body yeah. you know never have i been that stressed or angry or overworked and and so i think it was i just sort of looked at it as like well i don't know what i'm doing and i i, I had there was something going on with these songs where i was like this is a new thing for me just just keep working and uh i think just it was the correct correct recipe to be in the right headspace to to make the right kind of music did you you toured the first album toured the first album pretty a lot yeah. you know that kind of smashed me up a bit but not completely smashed me up and so we were making the second record by then i was using a lot of musicians you know i grew up playing in the jazz bands and i had a nine-piece band in high school too all my friends with horns and everything so it was a natural inclination to want to be around more people mm -hmm. um but what naturally happened is i started to share some of the the load of the songwriting and and but also very holding on really tight and um i think and, and this isn't a negative thing but i think in many ways I, i've stepped farther and farther and farther back from the chief position yeah. of making the records um and it's funny after after making this these four records I, i'm feeling like maybe a return to just hanging out on my own for a, for a year or something to get back to that place. Cause you know, I so often would grow up, play guitar and write a song, sit and write, write the song down. It, 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 it went from sort of that with the first record to almost none of that. Yeah. Um, with, with where we're at now in the last, you know, this, this process, this 10 years. And so I, I saw a lot of, a lot of the death of the ego in a good way. 
Yes. And then also being lost because at times, because I didn't have that connection to like what I knew was right when I was all by myself, what I knew, what I didn't have to answer to, or, you know, like I didn't have Chris, like, man, that sucks. Or, or that's really great. Either one are problematic answers for me. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when you're, when you're oh, drifting farther back away from your, your frontal ego. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I see that, I see that happening in the last 10 years, that arc of sort of stepping back, getting the music bigger, um, and, and experimenting more and more. Um, I'm feeling like, you know, I can't predict what the next year is going to be like, but I'm feeling like a little bit of a return to that. Interesting. That, that place that's coming up kind of. Yeah. Soon. Is the hunting lodge still there? It is. Better than ever. <laughs> I get along with my dad so well, but I don't think it's the, it would be the same really? situation. He's he's built a big barn. He's got a sawmill, and he's got like 400 maple trees tapped up there. And so he's always got people around. And mm. and plus, we've sort of we've sort of made April Base into into that zone, even though um, we're not quite. I don't quite have my own room yet. We're working on that, but that's in the next year. So we'll be right back after the break. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, 
their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. We're back with more from Boney Vare. There, there's a million things to ask you about the past, but for, yeah. for a moment, how, how do songs typically start? Would you say you're, do you jam? There's some improvisation in, you know, studio setting, like maybe not like instruments and stuff, but maybe some drum machines and just looking for odd uh, recipes that yeah. could create something very surprising is probably our favorite thing to do. Um, doing some just playing in general. I, I grew up writing a lot of songs on guitar and it sort of just stopped happening that way. And I've been playing a lot more guitar lately and songs are trickling out, but there's still this thing I think as I've developed more as a singer than maybe I was before, where um, I really started to hone in on on the voice part of it, I think I became less. It became less important for me to write the song and be this songwriter person, and more like how do we, how do I get my voice on something that sounds interesting to my voice, if you will. Yeah. And so a lot of we do a lot of improvisation or butting two things together, like have a saxophone go through a harmonizer while I'm playing it and singing it, or just looking for things to to clash or to make something that sounded brand new so that it would be exciting to sing on. Um, that's been the main process. You know, and every once in a while, maybe just a guitar riff would would plop in and, and create a song uh, in and of itself. But I'd say that's our, been our biggest way of doing it, is just looking for moments that, that seem magical. Yeah, and and it sounds like mainly musical moments. So you, so you'd be working on track ideas essentially, mm-hmm. um, with the idea. Does it start with that feeling of this is interesting, or does it start with this is interesting? I have, I can see what I would do on top. Uh, both. I mean, every every time's different. Every time's different. Um, and sometimes just something sounds good, so you want to keep it around. But you're like, well, this isn't really going to be for this project. So. Um, we we don't know what to do with those ones exactly. I feel like the, the the two generally for us go go hand in hand. It's like when we hear something that we've somehow come up with that sounds really interesting, Justin immediately wants to sing on it, and yeah. that's like okay, we're we're into something here. That's kind of the biggest giveaway that we're onto something. Um, yeah, I might like a lot of things, and but could, if I don't have anything to sing on it, yeah. it, it's sort of like, well, maybe we should give this to someone else. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and any like, whenever you try and get him to sing on something, it's like not a good, not a good vibe. I it mean, comes it, very, it comes very, it's it springs forth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> when it's there, it's there, and when it's yeah, not, yeah. it's really not. I think with the with the previous record, twenty two million, we did a lot more jamming. I mean, great, granted, it was over like a period of five years that we were writing that record or something, but. There were some pretty extensive, long, multi-person jams that would happen that we got some stuff out of, but that was kind of a way where Justin, I think, was maybe struggling with with trying to get his songwriting going again. That was a way for us to do it. It was bringing a lot of people, make as much noise as we can for a long period of time, and see what happens. See and if I, there's any moments that pop through you can that you could then, like, hey, what about that? Let's go focus right yeah. in on that little moment that happened. Mm-hmm either use it directly. Usually that's what we do. We use that moment directly and shape around it. And like, you know, but this, this album was definitely a lot more 
there was more playing. We, we entered with a lot more intention on a number of levels with this this record, yeah. the, the newest record. And more of the touring band than ever before, too. Yep, which was a, a, a great, great addition. Yeah. But I think um, sonically, we I think we've kind of quietly made an active choice to not mess with his voice as much as we had previously. We knew, I think, that we were going to focus on the lyric content more than we ever have. Um, not that we weren't saying something before or that Justin wasn't saying something, is that we wanted it to be heard and we wanted it to be maybe clearer than it ever had been. Yeah. And so I think with those may have been the two most like sort of unspoken decisions for this record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we were all aligned on that and everything else just came so much easier. Came and, to us, yeah. Yeah, it was so much more, I don't know, just free and easy. Yeah. It was great. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be it's it sounds like that can be going forward it sounds like there's that a, could be our job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a huge realization with with this with finishing this record as not as quickly but so much faster than the previous one. Yes. That we were just like, "Oh, this is what it can be all the time." Brad Brad Cook and I talked about, I mean all three of us did, but yeah. Brad and I talked about that a lot of just like this is what yeah, the we break, can make like it every time. Bre- there was a breakthrough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is all we got to do every time. It's yeah. great. Did you record many more than the songs that are on the album or the songs on the album pretty much it? That's pretty much it. Is it usually that way? Yeah. I think we pretty pretty early on know whether something's going to get chased down further or not. So we still have like fragments that we'll probably revisit in a year or something. But from I don't then. know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't have this feeling like there's like great songs waiting for no. us. We sort of like worked on what we worked on. What was the thought on the title, by the way? Man, it's uh, it's ver- it's really a lot about this whole self care and and caring about your friend thing. It's to me, it's that's this the thing that Bob Marley introduced me to when I was a kid is this I and I. It's I and I. It's we, you are me, I am you. Yeah. Uh, this is all of us kind of thing together. This this sort of responsibility to one another maybe responsibility isn't even a strong enough a word it's like we are connected it's not just like we choose to be or not when we hurt ourselves i feel like it has a reaction to others and so that that was my whole thing is just like marley vibes rastafarian vibes like it uh we are responsible for for one another it is a line that no no branches of a tree are so foolish that they would fight with another branch on the tree yeah exactly Exactly. <laughs> so it started guitar and vocal. Guitar, vocal, and the ensemble all at once. And then and we, when, when did the lyrics come in the process of writing? <clears throat> like, I think I had this guitar riff laying around for like years. Yeah. And it was always just, I thought this was half a love, thought that this was half a love, uh, follow to the raging sea. That's all it ever was. And so Brad was just like, why don't you just consider that's a, that's a song. You can, have a, you can have a you can have a two line song, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I uh, accepted that and was just like, oh, I love this. Okay, great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of the story with that one. It's just like sometimes it's enough just to have a small little idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's all it wants to be. Yeah. Uh, if you try to force it, you're what? What are you doing? Cool. Pick another one, or do you want to see the list? Uh, sure. Let me think here. Uh, sure. Can you see it? <laughs> yeah, I can't see it. Uh, <laughs> Shida is probably pretty good. I don't know, man. <laughs> man, 
Like You is pretty good. I like Man Like You. Let's try that one. The big story with this one is that Bruce Hornsby is Bruce Bruce's track. Like, really? He just wrote, he just had, he came up, we were helping him with his record, and he just had this piano figure. He had it on a burned CD he brought over and was like, we what no is that? We had no way to play it. Well, yeah, I was like, well, first of all, we have to buy a CD player now. Um, <laughs> uh, but he just played a bunch of this kind of music that he'd been working on. I was like, what is that track doing? Because it was one of those moments where I was like, I almost heard the entire melody. Just like I went in there and just like it was just there. Yeah. Um, and had I not been a little more open and and like not so like I better be the guy to write all these songs, um, I might not have had that feeling. But it felt so good just to jump on, and it's just a mood that I couldn't have come up with. Yeah. Uh, and it feels so fun to to sing on. Me and Brad did so much bass playing on the album. You know, he's he's predominantly a bass player. I'm kind of acute bass player um acute acute and <laughs> cute uh but so we do a lot of playing bass in the album where i would play it and then he'd be like i, I can do better or and then i can be like "Ooh, i liked what you did there but i'll kick your ass you know? <laughs> uh, so we did a lot of that on the on the album i don't know i haven't heard these i haven't heard the jam since we uh actually have uh played all these shows it's kind of interesting um, have, do they transform live they have transformed a lot live. You know, the, our our band is awesome. Yeah. I just love playing with each other. They, they they ultimately feel more alive. I mean, they're literally living. And I love, I like records that have scrapes and, you know, they don't, I like records that sound very hi-fi as well. Um, but uh, with our records, I've sort of always tried to keep it a little dusty or a little, uh, got some nicks and, Nick's in there. How but many people are in the band live now? It's six now. And we've, we've waxed and waned on that. We've had, last year we had like five trombone dudes from Richmond, Virginia traveling <laughs> with us. That was a lot. Uh, they're Our amazing trombones. dudes. Uh, what do we call them? Bone? Uh, trombone Paradise. Trombone Paradise. That's right. Uh, but now, now it's uh, a lot of the same dudes that have been in there a really long time. And then we added this lady, Jen Wozner, who has this band, Y Oak. And she is a monster, um, having another high voice, a higher voice, and she's also a crushing profit player, as guitar player and bass player as well. So she, it's been it's been really fun. And the songs they just they just live and breathe. You're playing them rather than like pressing play on them. You know what I mean? I think we're staying truer to the record with the most recent songs than we did with Twenty Two Million. I mean, those really we tried to those took on a whole new life live mm-hmm. it's that are it's great but i think with these yeah they they definitely live and breathe but we're we're staying closer to the record it also makes sense that you said there's more playing on the record too so it's makes sense to yeah, you know, exactly same people played it on the record and now yeah. they're playing it live it's makes sense yeah totally. absolutely the, not, in, the, not interpolating the yeah the the picking and choosing with only having six people is like okay well you we can't we're just physically can't play that part because we yeah. don't we don't have any tracks or anything like yeah, that yeah, live. Yeah. so making those choices is always like okay what's the most essential moment or can you play this one moment on guitar but then do the rest of it over here you know making those choices is, has been really fun i think this time yeah i don't know what else to play Wait, what else? It's hard to play Rick Rubin your record, man. <laughs> when we come back, Justin Vernon talks to Rick about some of his favorite music.
Snagajob is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious, but the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism, and we fold. But the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to the tipping point and market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off, but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization. If this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat.
We're back with more from Bon Iver. What would you say is the most fun part of the entire process in this band or th- project? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part of it? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, lately, it's been, if not all the whole time, is when we have a piece of music that we can play that that drifts, that is really alive, that we don't have to follow follow the grid or or we don't use to click tracks or tracks really but especially you know there's a couple songs that we're playing live now from this record where it's like wow we're really it's really a push and pull thing there's really a lot of group improvisation going on group listening group reacting and uh i really enjoy that because on one hand i've got this feeling like i love a song i love a good folk song that lets you know kind of who he is yeah. uh right away but i also love coltrane and i you know music that that just makes you feel strange yeah. i like the combination of those two comforts yeah uh, the feeling strange and the feeling comfortable and what, what do you listen to mostly i mean i bounce around a lot i I'll, i do listen to everything we grew up i grew up listening and studying jazz in school and stuff. Oh, cool. And so um, I was just exposed to a lot. My parents are musical folks. and So what would be the music like growing up in the house? What would your parents play? John Prine was probably was number one. Um, and matter of fact, he's probably like the, he's the backbone of our spiritual philosophy as a family, I, I guess I would say. Um, that, that, that was the, he was the main one. I think you could distill all other listening vis-a-vis John Prine. And did you did you extend from John Prine into others like in the singer songwriter world? Was that yeah? Did, Dylan came pretty pretty close after, uh, um, and still still very central, you know, in my understanding of the of the craft of like writing a song on the guitar, you know, yeah. um, that whole tradition. So in both cases, would it be a lyric centric draw? Started out that way, I think. I think. Once when I saw how complete a song could be with such little lyricism when I when I with John Prine especially, yeah, you know, compared to Dylan or something. Um, but kind of right after that, I always liked a good lyric. Um, but it's you know, th- that would have been when I was like, you know, eleven, twelve when I actually would get my own discman and listen to John Prine on my own, you know. So did you start writing songs as a kid? I did, yeah. Um, write it like when I was twelve or thirteen. I'd write little songs about like my friends at camp or yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. It's just something that came pretty naturally to me. Cool. Would you call them like? It, would you call them folk songs? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I was probably listening to like Pearl Jam and Nirvana, so I was probably just like, "Oh, these are just songs, man." Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. If you would describe them now, what would you say they were rooted in? Would they be like a Pearl Jam song played on acoustic guitar? Yeah, I think they're probably <laughs> they're probably the early days more prime, more okay. just three chords in the truth kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. But then shortly, you know, then eventually you get into alternate tunings, and then you're yeah. listening to Joni Mitchell, yeah. and um, then it gets a little farther out. Who would you say would be the singers that inspire you or excite you? There's always three that I think of. My my first favorite was was amy ray from indigo girls she she had this there's this folk thing going on in that their group and songwriting but she was yelling a lot and like there's this 
fever that was just so connected to her spirit and what she was trying to communicate in her songs. Uh, was she still communicating in her songs? Um, and that that sort of unbridled yelling and, and and sort of like this when you lose it. Yeah. Can you think um, of a good example? Because I'd love to hear. Oh, um, I can I can pull it up for you and you can look. Oh yeah. My favorite song of all time is called Fugitive. That's like my number one song. That's Indigo Girls. And maybe maybe that's not her yelling, but she's definitely like pushing her voice. And it's let's listen to it. Yeah, cool. It's my number my number one favorite song of all time. They played that in Missoula, right? Yeah, it, I mean, brought, I, it brought you to your knees. I mean, I literally had to sit down. <laughs> it's true. You came stumbling my- <laughs> back to you. just like, I can't believe this just happened. Yeah. I'll, this is my favorite song, my favorite album, I think. When I was 12, like my mom and sister got me into them. And I think I was like, so mom, they're, they're gay, you know, like, and then just realizing they have all these problems because of that. And, and like, okay. I, I, for some reason I was just like, well, this is wrong that they, that they have issues, you know, like I don't understand. Uh, and then that gave me more and more, uh, adored them more and more and more, the more they had strength in the face of their adversity and that but they never became bitter they be, they would have feelings about it i don't know they're just they're they're my favorite group um ever uh and emily's the harmony the other singer she writes other the other songs too i mean they're both just together it's it's like my favorite shit but donny hathaway and, and bonnie raid are probably my other two just like as far as soul yeah the thing that moved me most was after the first sort of rocking part it drops down into a very intimate, unexpected, intimate moment. Mm-hmm. Just for a moment. Yeah. But it got real. Yeah. You got know, really, really real. got real. Yeah. And um, it's a good feeling. Yeah. That's the feeling, man. That's it's the feeling, feeling. Like, I mean, I tattooed those lyrics on my chest for a reason. It's wow. like, this is what I want to be carrying around. And that's the feeling. When, she, when we get to that verse, mm-hmm. you're like, you're exposed from all this yelling and this guitar solo and this orchestration. And then it all goes away. You're just back to this place where it's like, we need to we learn need to learn how to respect what we don't understand. We are fortunate ones. We are fortunate ones. I swear. It's just like the best thing you can say. It's like we don't know anything, and we have to try to learn, and we have to understand that how lucky we are. Beautiful. And that's that's why it's my favorite song. But yeah, it's it's a uh, displaying intimacy and and. And vulnerability is a really important part of communicating as a human being and as a musician or songwriter. It's like you have to be able to be like, yes, I am. I feel awful or yes, I, I am scared. You know, I think those are such valuable things and are valuable assets to ourselves, the vulnerability, you know. It's beautiful. Mm. That was Justin Vernon at Boney Bear and his producer Chris Messina in conversation with Rick Rubin from Shangri-La Studios in Malibu. The new record, I, I, is up for Album of the Year at the Grammys. You can stream it using the Spotify playlist we put together for this episode at brokenrecordpodcast.com. You can also sign up for a behind-the-scenes newsletter while you're there. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell, Mia Lobel, and Leah Rose. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episodes. Brittany Howard and Andre 3000. Thanks for listening. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing 
This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.